Hello, my name is Chris Bay and welcome to my debut podcast episode for the fourth official. I thought I'd start big um, and joining me today are two of the founding fathers of Rangers fan media. First up is Stevie Clifford from Four Lads. Stevie, how you doing? Hi, I mean, a very generous welcome. I, I, I'm not sure I was one of the founding fathers, but certainly one. You were one of the better ones. One to follow in the footsteps of others who have done such a good job. Um, but yeah, great to be here, mate. Thanks for having us on. And no, I know that I'm biased around Stevie, but do you know that way, like, when there's like two boxers um, fighting and the second one gets introduced and they're always the champion, like the bigger name and stuff. That's not really what I'm doing here with us, but obviously um, I do have allegiances to this guy. So um, joining me and Stevie also is David Edgar from Heart and Hand. David, how are you doing? I'm great, mate. I'm so proud. It's like, this must be what it's like when Stevie sees Billy Gilmer um, <laughs> strutting his stuff. Uh, this, this, this must be what it's like for him. I'm so proud of you to be here over on the fourth official, um, which is, you know, a site that we've always uh, worked with and got on well with. So, yeah, and, and it's lovely to talk to you both. Uh, you know, I think everybody knows two people I've got an awful lot of time for, so we should have a wee fun conversation. Yeah. How much did the fourth official um, value me at? What was the transfer fee? Well, it's uh, next time you see me, I'll have a lovely... Has it gone to a tribunal? (laughs) No, no, no. The next time you see me, I'll have a lovely new jacket on. (laughs) All right. So basically this chat's just going to be like a mini review of the season so far and basically what is needed for the second half of the season. So we'll just kick things off straight away. Obviously... Um, Steven Gerrard started the season um, going for 56 as the manager, so we'll just go into the transfer business first. Basically, your four main ones are John Lundstrom, um, Offerbora, uh, Fashion Sakala and Gino Bacuna. Uh, I would say, guys, um, Steve, I'll come to you first. I would say I was underwhelmed because there was sound bites, and I, I know with sound bites it can be how you want to interpret it, but... I think the vast majority of Rangers fans took it as there was an exciting summer ahead when it came to player recruitment. And I'll be honest, I, I don't think I got excited with any of the signings that we made. And I know that's quite a brutal assessment. What about yourself, Stevie? Well, I think the hindsight, obviously, we're, we're six months on, so that can affect our, our, our judgment or, or be reflective on it. But for me personally... I never expect anything because I'm more realistic of where we are as a club and, and what needs to happen. So had, you know, a big player possibly left in the summer and we hadn't spent any and, and it possibly would have dampened um, my kind of overall thoughts on it. But I'm, I'm more aware of where we are as a club. Um, if we're not a team that's going to spend big money unless we're selling to do it first. So with that in mind and that not happened, I wasn't surprised that the summer went the way it was, yeah, or the way it had rather. But and in terms of of who we brought in, you know, the business I thought was quite okay in terms of if we aren't going to spend anything, you know, who are we bringing in? Lunchroom made sense. Sakala seemed an exciting signing. Um, off a board obviously is is one of the the kind of project ones from you're you're relying on on scouting and that being a bit better. So. You know, it's it's easy to be, you know, in hindsight and say <clears throat> maybe not worked out or whatever. But I think at the time I was quite comfortable with it. But I do, on your point, Chris, in, in terms of I think that Stephen Gerrard possibly heightened expectations a wee bit when he said that, you know, he's had um, exciting talks with the board and, and where they're going to go and stuff like that. But several other factors behind the scenes happened, you know, in the summer and things like that that we had to move forward with so 
I, I was a disappointed at the time. It would have been nice to get a few big signings, but I'm more realistic, as I said, of where we are. I'm sure, obviously, we'll discuss uh, the transfer business and the correlation with Stephen Gerrard's departure uh, later on the show. But David, what about yourself? Were you were you underwhelmed, or were you more kind of like Stevie, uh, more realistic in terms of money um, that we didn't have, and we probably had to sell a player to get players in? I think you can be both. You know, I think you can understand the. The, the financial situation at the club and also that you know we do have a good squad and I still think you can as a football fan want big transfers because they're great aren't they yeah <laughs> we, we love them look at look at how big um the January transfer window <clears throat> has become even though it's usually traditionally quite a quiet time of the year but you know you turn on sky and sports and it's 24 7 you know so I do think, I think one of the interesting things is, and this is just a theory, you know, and, and, and it's it's not based on, on conversations that I've had, but just listening to some of these interviews, I think that when he spoke about exciting signings, I think Gerard, because of the value he places, understandably given his career and where he's from, on the English Premier League, I think he thought of Lundstrom as being a signing that would get us all very excited. Mm-hmm. Um and I think because Rangers did, you know, they did beat Premiership clubs there. They did have offers from Premiership clubs down south, uh, Crystal Palace for one. That I think that genuinely he he was, you know, very pleased with that signing. And I think he was a little bit taken aback that the support in general were like, okay. Um, and yeah, again, we were kind of like, we lunched him, we were like, right, okay, do something. Do something, I, and, you know, and, and, and he think, was doing something, but that was his game. Yeah, and I think that Gerard maybe had. Well, we've just signed a guy for the EPL. That's you know a first teamer from the EPL, although admittedly Sheffield United had gone down, but a guy who's been playing in that. And I think that he saw it as maybe. And, and again, that's just a theory. I'm not quite sure. Um, Sakala, I was excited about, but again, you know that it's probably going to be like Aribo, like Ken. Even the first year's probably not going to be the year that you see him at his best. Um, because he's a young player, but I think we've all seen enough in him to 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 be happy with. I think it's a genuinely realistic thing to say that in the last two windows, Rangers haven't really, so far anyway, added a guy who's come in and been a guaranteed first team starter. And while you can look at some of the signings in that period, Scott Wright was a very sensible signing. Fashion Sakala, I think, will prove to be an excellent signing. The other ones have all been a bit sort of you know, punts and adding guys like, you know, Jack Simpson looks as though he'll leave this year, hasn't worked out at all. Nemandia Forb is just unlucky. There's nothing you can do there. That's, yeah. you know, just a shame. But it, it, but obviously then it means that we haven't been able to, to get him in and about the first team. Um, Lundstrom, well, I mean, you can't call him a first team starter at the moment because he's not. Uh, again, that no. may change. But right now he isn't um, playing regularly under Giovanni so it's all it, it it's all quite difficult um to to kind of assess I think in the middle of a season but I do think that we are gonna have to move to a point where we bring in guys who are first team starters and we're not at that yeah. yet Stevie mentioned the transfer model you know we've just had our first big fee in the door that might uh, get things moving with regards to that but I, I do think it's a legit thing for people to say with the last two windows we haven't really got anybody and you know Bakuna 
seemed a bit of an odd signing, and that that that's two managers now that haven't really used them. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, there's certainly nobody that you would look at in the two windows and say he came in and he's now a mainstay of the team because it, it didn't happen. No, um, just just uh, finally on the, the the transfer discussion, were you both surprised that we didn't actually sell anyone? I was. I would I would say that it feels like I've I've said this now for a few windows, but um, I know obviously David will, will remember. Um, I was on with Caroline and and um, Martina did just on the blue scarves and we were talking about big signings and stuff like that and um, I, I said to Marina at the time that I thought that we would lose a big one, maybe Aribo possibly, I think we mentioned interest in Haji and Patterson and stuff so it feels like I've been saying it for a few windows because I know that I wrote before the summer and I know that David and I have both been talking about this model of selling you know, and, and, and it it's not been it's not been priming people for it. That's the wrong expression, but it's more or less when I do it, it's it's to make people aware that this is what the club have said and this is what we've always been aiming to do. So, <coughs> excuse me, when we didn't sell somebody in the summer, I was quite surprised. And then you begin to wonder, are we ever going to be able to manage it? Is there an issue? You know, blah, blah, blah. So I'm pleased that that first hurdle has kind of been overcame, and and that sounds it probably sounds silly to both of you because you'll be we've lost a, a really good player and stuff, but I feel like it sets a benchmark and it and it sets a model for it. So yes, I was surprised it didn't happen in the summer. Um, disappointed as well that it didn't happen. As again, that probably sounds strange, but we want to become this team that are selling big, and then in order to do that, I think some of the disappointment means because we didn't spend that money, Chris, mm-hmm. in terms of the signings coming in. So that maybe answers a wee bit of what we said before as well, that I was more disappointed that nobody went out because it didn't allow us to do what we were trying to do and model. So um, I, I've definitely been primed for it in terms of my own realist, realistic expectations. As I said, I said to the girls, and they even named the show, you know, Stevie Clifford stole Christmas and that was, was very funny. But it was because I was trying to say to folk and that my expectations was definitely so. Yeah, I have been, I think that's fair to say as well that David and I and, and yourself and everybody on the podcast stuff, we've all been talking about this model and expecting to lose somebody. So it was a surprising that we didn't, but I'm, I'm glad now that, not, not I'm glad that he's gone, but I'm glad that as a club we've been able to implement what we've been talking about for so long and we can now use that strategy going forward. David, would it be fair to assess the transfer window in the summer as the only success from it was actually retaining the players? I know, Stevie, you said that you were disappointed we didn't sell one so we could reinvest, but overall, when you look at the players that came in to the players that we actually kept, would you say the success lay in the players that we kept rather than the players that came in? That was, you know, key part of it, because on the one hand, it is exciting if there had been money to splash out and, and refresh the team. I do think teams do need refreshed um, anywhere, but had Ryan Kent gone, for example, I'd have been gutted. Had Joe Rebo yeah. gone, I'd have been gutted. So it's it, it's one of these things that I think in theory sound great and and it's interesting the reaction to the Patterson one of which I would include myself incidentally and I think it 
it's almost been like getting in the swimming pool and just dipping your toe first, you know, rather than running in and jumping right in and splashing. So we've all been comfortably able to slip into the water um, without it being too shocking because Nathan Patterson is great a player as he's going to be. Um, he's had four starts for us this year, you know. It's not somebody that we're not losing the heart and soul of this side. You know, I'm sure in years to come we'll be watching him you know, strutting his stuff and going, oh, I play that boy is. But it was also a good fee, and Stevie's right about that. You know, it was a fee that you could go, right, I get it. You know, that makes yeah. that makes sense. Um, and it will, it will move on. That this is something that I don't think though that gets that that gets mentioned enough. That when you're doing this model, that I think that people need to remember that when this model works for clubs, when you start selling your players for twelve, fifteen, twenty hopefully upwards millions, you don't replace them with guys at 500 grand. You know, yeah. you, you then go up and you shop in the slightly higher market. And the, the idea is then you start to turn the fact that, you know, the four and the five million pound players into 25 and 30 million pound players. And so, you know, it's supposed to build up that you, as the money comes in, you move up and then your sales should move up. So there will come a point where the investment is great getting fees in, but the investment that goes out will need to be will need to be good because again, there's more pressure. Then I understand why it's tempting to go for guys that are you know cheap punts because how often do you hear us say, well, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't matter. That's not the case with a guy we've spent four or five million on. He's got to work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even so, the upside of those guys, both in what they can do at the club and then when they leave, uh, the fee that they go for should be bigger. That's the gamble. And for everything else, if you do it well, you'll get praise. If you do it badly, we'll moan. Well, speaking of gamble, that, that that's a, a subject that we'll come on to now. Um, Rangers played their first Champions League tie in a decade. Um, we get quite a favourable draw against Malmo. Um, who were obviously the champions of, of, of their uh, country. But we could have got a lot worse. Um, Malmo, obviously, as we know now, um, beat us and actually went on to the Champions League group stages. Um, I actually can't remember off the top of my head who they got after us, but I think they got quite a favourable draw again. So the route to the Champions League group stages weren't actually as hard or as difficult as it could have been for Rangers. First tie, uh, first, sorry, first leg, we could beat 2-1. Two, two, Lost two quick goals. We got a goal back in the very, very last minute, Stephen Davis. Typical Rangers, though. We get a goal back in Europe, away from home. But the away goal rule is no longer in uh, force. But we're still going to be confident taking them back to Ibrox. We take them back to Ibrox. We're 1-0 up at half-time. And Malmo go down to 10 men. Everyone in the stadium, I think even Malmo, John Dal Thompson, the, the, the Malmo manager, I think they all expected to go out at that point. And then, unbelievably, two quick goals again. We're 2-1 down. We're out of Europe. Uh, well, no, we're not out of Europe. We're out of the Champions League. So, the first leg, uh, from what I can remember, and you know, you guys will both know, my takes can be a wee bit out there at times. But I think that... Your immediate takes can be a <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. This isn't an immediate take. Even I've, I've had what, You've six, six months to think about this, and I've still came to the same conclusion. I don't know who's to blame for this. Um, I don't think it's Gerard because Gerard showed great frustration. But Morelos missing for that first leg whilst he's sitting on his ass in Colombia. 
that was a massive own goal for us, I would say. Um, you could tell Gerard was frustrated. Uh, I, I don't. Everyone's entitled to a break. Everyone's entitled to a holiday. Of course, they are. Um, the, the argument was, especially on social media, that Morelos had just played, had been part of the Copa America, Copa America team for Colombia. However, he didn't play, so he basically had quite an extended summer. Um, and then, as he's, as I said, he's sitting on a beach in Colombia. Um, whilst we're playing the first leg, we started with Itten up front, who obviously then leaves the club. So that shows how much faith that we had in him. Uh, so that was the first problem. The second problem, um, the se- second leg is on Gerald. I think he- his tactics were just shocking, to be honest. But again, his frustration is, he said this after the Leon game, but we all knew what he meant. At that level, we had to invest and we just signed three free transfers and we're getting into a Champions League game. Should the board have gambled? Um, obviously, high risk, high reward. Um Gamble a couple of million to get a few players in. There's a 30, 40 million pound pot at the end of that rainbow with a favourable tie. Um, so the first question is management of the whole Morelos situation. Should we have had our very best team for the first leg? And obviously the second question is um, should we have gambled with investment, David? Well, there's nothing you can do about the Morelos situation. He's entitled to those breaks. It's the end of, end of story. So Can't is that on Morelos, do you think? Um... You could say that, but again, it's one of these situations um, that everybody's got their their their, their viewpoint. As you bring him back, you know he's no had a break at all. Um, he plays, he gets injured, he's out for months. You know, the, the people need they're human beings, and we forget that as fans. We forget that as fans. Rangers should have had enough to get past Malmo with Morelos. Um, and he did, and he did come back for the second game. Rangers were in a good position after the first match. Um, and the fact is, Rangers didn't play well for the first four months of this season. So, uh, uh, had we signed another player or another two players, we'd, you know, we'd need Gaza and Loudrop, really, because that the team collectively did not play well. For There was a hangover. There was a hangover from last season. There's zero doubt about it. I think it. Um, the the example. To that. The example I'm obviously going to give you is, is one that I think you get tweeted about daily. Both of these actually was Joey Veerman. Um, five six million quid. He was Would a difference been... maker. He was yeah. a difference maker. Um, the the problem is that you, you. This is the thing about do you gamble? That's exactly what David Murray did, and you start off and you gamble a, a little bit. And then the next year you've got to gamble a bit more. Yeah. And then you, once you're into that both habit and cycle, it becomes very difficult to get out of because you then start, you need it. Rangers cannot go back to that. I mean, we literally cannot. Banks won't give Rangers. I, I laugh. I saw a Celtic fan the other day say, you're £117 million in debt. There isn't a company in the world would lend us £117 million, folks. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's just it's absolute nonsense um, that, that that's happened. What he means is that there's been losses over the years, which have, of yeah. course, been covered by directors. So, there's, you know, there, there isn't a debt at the moment because it's all been paid. But... You know, the idea of running up a huge debt or running up a big overdraft. Say we'd gambled, you know, in the 90s, I saw it a lot. We gambled, we didn't get there. And then you're kind of screwed. Um, yeah. And this is the problem with gambling. It, 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 all gambling, I, sometimes it'd be great to go and start. I wish I'd stuck the mortgage money on Cambridge beating Newcastle last week. 
But if it hadn't come up, I'd have been sitting with no mortgage money. And that's that's the problem. Rangers did this. It doesn't work. Um, it does leave people frustrated. I understand that. But Rangers should have had enough. I think that we didn't have a good summer um, under Gerard. Uh, I'm not talking about transfers. I'm talking about pre-season. I thought the pre-season looked... <sighs> I don't know, fragmented and a little bit odd. Um, and I wasn't panicking. I was like, it'll come good. And, you know, we had some good days. That Real Madrid game was, you know, was fantastic. Yeah. And you thought, well, if we can't get, take a bit of confidence into the season. But the team just looked really up until the last couple of weeks before Gerard left. You know, it's easy to say, oh, Gio turned everything around. And to a degree, it did. But there were a couple of signs under it, Motherwell away, Ross County, that the team was beginning to function a bit more like itself. But, you know, you're right when you say, was Gerard perhaps just at the end of his cycle? Well, subsequent moves have suggested that that was the case, yeah. Did that seep towards the players? Again, only the players will know that. But, you know, the, the way they've responded to Giovanni suggests that. Um, I just think that, that you know, Stephen Gerrard, the individual, had placed so much on getting that title for Rangers and for himself. We as a support had placed so much. And remember, a lot of these players have been there for, you know, for years mm-hmm. and suffered all that. This was the big, overwhelming goal, not only to win a title, but also because Celtic were going for 10. This was the thing, and they achieved it, and they were spent. And mentally, I think, more so than physically, mentally, the first couple of months this season, we weren't at it. And uh, I think that that's a, a, a great example of it, that match against Malmo, when this Rangers team, don't lose that tie from 1-0 up in the second leg. We don't. No. Right? It just doesn't happen. Rangers right now don't lose that tie. But that kind of thing happened not only that night against Malmo, it happened quite a lot. We were awful against Alashkert. Terrible. Um, against one of the weakest teams we've played in Europe in a long, long time. And I'm glad they were because we could have been in trouble otherwise. Um, but it's just a difficult one. Something wasn't right. And I think we could all see it and sense it now because I'm optimistic. Stevie's an optimist as well. We felt we would come out of it. And maybe we would have under Stephen Gerrard. Um, as I say, you can certainly point to the couple of results before before he left. But maybe the whole thing had just reached the end of the, you know, the end of the CD and it was time for a new one to come in um, and bring that bit of freshness. Because in the last sort of five weeks, Rangers have played with a freshness and a vitality that I didn't see really up until, um, you know, the, the the last couple of months before the window. Absolutely, Stevie. Um, I think Malmo, you know, again hindsight, we we've got, but I think that Malmo was just a, a football team suffering from a dreadful hangover of what was a monumental season, um, both physically and mentally. Um, and I think that players were resting on their laurels, so to speak. Um, and I think that because of that, we were where we should be. And I think that even if we were at 70 or 80% of our capabilities, we would beat Malmo and should beat Malmo. We didn't. It was Ludogorets that they had next, which we That's should have right. and would have beat them as well. But at that stage, we spoke about this a lot and we have covered it a lot. Um, and even on the Rangers Corner, Martin and I 
there were some times Martin and I were recording and I was like to Martin, God, that was really grim. Like, we sound so negative, but it was so patchy. The form was uninspiring. And that was a subsequence of of what we were through. And we can Everything look back like on it. Everything looked didn't it? Everything yeah, it did. Like but, but David, there were signs there really early. Um, and I remember being, we were all together when Tran Mir beat us 1-0. And I said to the guys, um, immediately said, I says, you know, it's pre-season, blah, blah, blah. We'll get our players back. It doesn't really matter. My only concern is that I've seen this before. And I'm talking about years ago under Walter when we went, you know, all that way in Europe and then the next season, six and seven, it took us a lot to get back to where we were. It wasn't really, you know, we lived in that, David, but we didn't really hit peak form until eight again. You know, six and seven was really quite patchy, even though we'd done doubles, etc. Yeah, Hugely. we didn't. Yeah, we won, yeah, we won the league in, in, in seven. But, you know, having spoken to some of the players involved at the time, you don't realise how much of a mental and psychological effect these things have on them. Looking back on it now, it's clear that we weren't where we should be. I think that, you know, it's just a, everything is a, not a consequence, but everything was a cumulative of, of where we were at that point, Chris, in terms of there was no there was no signing to kind of freshen us, like no big name signing or, or no big, so there was no momentum kind of in the team, which was quite flat. I think even the management team, I think everything about it was quite flat. And I do agree with David. I do think we were starting to come out of it under Gerard in terms of certainly attacking-wise, Motherwell game, for example, Ross County at home. We look much more like ourselves. And that has obviously helped Gio when he's come in. But we're not talking about a two-week hangover. We're talking about three, four months. It's taken us to get back to any degree of where we were. And it's clear that, that Malmo... I think Malmo is definitely a learning point. We need to make sure that that doesn't happen again or we learn from that. But you, you've got to remember as well that, like something David said, this team's been together three, four years. And we talk about Rangers and, and it winning and winning trophies as the expectation for us. So, you know, winning a league, we were done and dusted. Even though 55 was huge, we were done and dusted after a couple of weeks. But for others, it wasn't like that. And we need to make sure that, you know, winning things at Rangers becomes a normality again. And that's that's the kind of situation we're in. We've come out of it, and, and you know, fairly well in terms of no massive damage done. There's been a few hard knocks to take and a few bad results during it. Malmo certainly cup semi final, etc. But if we were to look back on it all now, then yeah, I think that unfortunately, I don't think there's a blame point. I think that's a, an accumulative thing in saying that we as a team were mentally and physically knackered. We didn't freshen it. The way we should have. I think even the management team, looking back on it now, you know, we seen Alan McGregor, for example, last season. Alan McGregor wasn't the same Alan McGregor. No. And he's only recently just getting yeah. back to that. And even if you look at statistically what he's like, but during games, he's much more vocal than everything else again. So when Connor Goldson said, you know, in November, and it caused much debate everywhere that people had kind of down tools or they weren't on their game or whatever it was he said that was quite harsh. He was right. Lost, but I, said some of the players had lost hunger. Lost their hunger, yeah. But I don't think I don't think he necessarily, when he said, you know, some of them lost their hunger, I think it was more a general shot at absolutely everybody at the club and, and realising that, you know, 55 is great. And I just think that that in the summer is, is where we were. I'm not in, inclined to blame anybody. I just think overall we were still in 
a kind of hangover mode. And having seen this before, I'm reluctant to go two-footed in them and say it's a disgrace and it's the management or it's tactics or everything. They just made an arse of it because mentally and physically they hadn't been there before to, to go past it. Yeah. Also, well, also, can I just say, never, ever, ever, ever debut a stupid new strip in an important cup tie again, Rangers. Nah, nah. I, I, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as saying it was stupid. It's stupid. I really like that strip, to be honest. I think it's do really, you? I do, actually. I, oh, I really, no, really, I'm actually wearing it right now. That's quite I, I will. Uh, you know me, Chris. I, I, I'll buy any, any strip of cloth with an RFC on it, but no, it's not one of my favourites. Oh. It's uh, beauty isn't the eye of the beholder, as Absolutely. you say. Absolutely. Um, just on both your points, really, um, just to elaborate a wee bit, obviously the start of the season, first two or three months, was just lacklustre, tired displays, slugs, really. We lost our unbeaten record against Dundee United at Tannadice. We're scraping 1-0 wins at Dundee at Dens Park, where we get a bit lucky, obviously. They missed oh, a terrible, that day. Terrible. Yeah, that's, that's probably the worst I've seen... A Steven Gerrard team um, out with his first season. That that was a terrible, terrible display. Um, it was just... It got to the stage... I, I would never say that I would never look forward to games. Uh, I don't think that's quite realistic, but it was getting close to it because I was just like... You, you kind of knew we were going to win, but it was going to be hard. It's going to be boring. It's going to be a 1-0. As you said, we weren't attacking. We weren't scoring the goals that we were scoring the previous season. Um Obviously, he's touched on quite a few points here. Mentally drained, wee bit physically drained. The, the monumental achievement of 55 took out as all. Um, a, a, an interesting point that I want to bring to you guys. I'm not saying that this is my opinion, but it certainly was a, a discussion A discussion point. Was, did the crowds being back affect us at all? This is something that people are always going to latch on to um, because it, it's kind of disprovable in a way isn't it it's not something that you can you can do when Rangers play well in front of a crowd it's not a thing when Rangers play badly in front of a crowd it becomes a thing um I I, I don't buy it to be honest because Rangers have you know that yes they had the super season behind closed doors but I strongly suspect that might have happened anyway um I think that team was just just hitting its peak um, at the right time as another team were, were falling apart. Um, and you look at, you know, matches this season, Tyne Castle's a great example where Rangers were absolutely terrific. Um, I, I think I'm it's, talking, it's one of David, the... I'm talking about the initial um, impact it had maybe the first couple of months. Was it, was it maybe the players had to readjust to it? Um, I mean, well, it's a wee bit easily debunkable, yeah. obviously, because of the, the, the old firm game. We had 50,000 Rangers <laughs> yeah. fans that performed that day, but... Um, I think it's it's just a case that this was a side that weren't playing well and it wouldn't have mattered. You know, I think you could have taken those fans. I think we lose to Dundee United if there's nobody on that ground, you know, because yeah. I think we'd have put in that performance. And, you know, some of the, the really poor, both in Dundee, for example, they're not scary grounds to go to. No. Um, and Rangers were awful those two days. Whereas, you know, as we say, the, the old firm match, I think that, I think that the, the whole, there was a sense over, you know, the, the club and the atmosphere at the ground, especially at Ibrox, in those openings. Everything was a bit of a, a bit of a kind of slug, uh, a slog, sorry. Everything was a bit of a kind of, you know, pushing the car uphill with a handbrake on. Um, and that might affect the kind of mood music and whatnot. But 
I just think that this was just a kind of a pretty you know down period for a lot of people. And I knew I knew the team was too good. I said I said this a wee while back on on social media. I said I knew this team was too good to not get better, right? To keep playing the way they were playing. But I didn't realise that it would take a change of manager to do it. Um, And maybe also it took a change of system because Rangers had played. There had been tweaks. You know, under Michael Beale, he was he was always keen to point that out that we don't play the same way that we we did in the first season, for example. There had been tweaks, but I think it's fair to say, and I mean, you lads can pull me up if I'm away off on one here. I think it's fair to say that it was a fairly recognisable model each game. You know, someone yeah. in, somebody might be playing a wee bit further back, and somebody might be playing a wee bit further in, etc. But I think you knew what you were getting when you watched Rangers. And I think the opposition teams began to as well. Um, and given what we've discussed, you know, about the, you know, the, the, the kind of maybe the mental aspect of the game. I think that when Giovanni Van Bronckhorst come in, there's, there's big recognisable changes. The fullbacks don't push on the way they used to. The wide men are wide men now. And they're told to be. Alfie doesn't drop anywhere near as deep as he used to. Arfield's been in the team more often than he hasn't to provide that that extra bit in midfield. Very rarely, I can recall, is sitting with the two more defensive players in the middle of the park. So there have been a lot of changes, and I think just that's freshened up the side. Um, I think that's freshened up the, the training, and I think that, that you know, the, you're know you seeing the benefits of that on the side. Now, that's not to say I was sitting going, oh, we need to change my... Because I didn't think that, right? And I'm not going to be a liar. I didn't think we need to change manager. Uh, it would have been... You're a lunatic, you think you say. It just worked out that way. This is one of those deals, you know, Villa have picked up since Gerard went, Rangers have picked up since Gio came in. Maybe it was just one of those deals, a wee bit like an Nathan Patterson one, where everybody walks away and goes, you know what, that's probably the right thing to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Stevie, the next kind of big, massive talking point, probably is the talking point of the season so far, is we've gone to the international break and rumours start that Aston Villa, Aston Villa, sorry, are sniffing about our manager. Now, everyone thought he's not going to go there. Um, just as a side note, I think everyone expected, I certainly did, um, I, everyone expected Gerard to be a two-club, one na- one national team manager. I felt his perfect career was going to be Rangers to Liverpool to England and then retire. Um, and then, as the days went on, the rumours started accelerating to the point where it got worrying and then it became a reality and then it happened and it left us shell-shocked. As much as the season started poorly, as much as maybe a wee bit of freshness was needed, the fact that we were losing the guy who did turn the club around, who done a lot for the club, both on and off the, the, the park, had left us and, you know... I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything. This isn't a podcast to say anything bad about Gerard and, and the departure, but I probably could say a lot. But just on the facts of it, halfway through a season, yeah, we're top of the league. But I had vibes of Brendan Rodgers' uh, departure from Celtic. It's going to a lesser club down south, um, purely because obviously the league that they're playing in, more money, more attractive. Um, I just didn't think they would ever do that, and. I didn't really know where we were going to go from from there. Um, were you as shocked as I was? No. Um, it, it became 
bit of a backstory to this. At the point where it came to to where we were in, in the season, I'd been doing quite a lot of, of kind of moaning about Rangers and where we were in terms about, you know, asking questions about what we were going to do and things like that. And I was beginning to get a wee bit fed up with where we were. Never once did I ever once think or ever once say seriously um, that I, I thought it was Gerard. Like David said, the, the, the question that nobody really asked was, is there an issue with, with Gerard or the management or the team? When it came about that Aston Villa were, were sniffing about, it very quickly, through various channels, became evident that he was going. And I would have said that as early as maybe Tuesday. Um, it didn't really become evident to anybody else until Thursday, I would say, and then obviously Rangers broke the news the next day at 10 o'clock. But it wasn't, so I had come to terms with it and I'd very quickly, you know, come to terms with it in terms of, well, if he wants to go, because this is where it'll sound bad and I don't want to come across as all staunch and everything else and blah, 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 but see if you don't want to be here for whatever reason, then that's absolutely fine by me. And I would rather that Steven Gerrard done what he done. Now, I'm not interested in, in calling Steven Gerrard some of the things that people said he was and stuff like that. For me, Steven Gerrard had earned the right from bringing the club back and delivering 55 to decide that his time was up. Now, whatever reason he done it, whether it was to get back to, um, get back to his family, get to the, the Premier League or whatever, then absolutely fine. But I don't think... And having watched Stephen Gerrard's press conferences and stuff, I don't think that that was a decision entirely based on his own heart and his own head. I think it was possibly guided by others. Um, and I'm not talking about family thing. I think that possibly people had maybe said to him professionally, you need to go and give England a go before you take that next step. Um, yeah. But for whatever reason, I'm not one of the ones that are, are kind of bitter or that. I would rather he'd done what he'd done. So... With regards to me being shocked at that, I immediately went from being, he doesn't want to be here. If he wants to move on, then fine. I'm eternally grateful of what he does. Where are we going next? And that was my only thing that I bothered about. And I said this, David and I were in contact quite a bit in that period, as we normally are. And David and I both said the same thing. Fine, he's going, you know, not happy about it, really disappointed. But where do we go next? And Chris... Again, without sounding all uber staunch and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's all about Rangers. And I'm, once you go, you go. And I'm not one to kind of fantasise over people that are away and everything else. Once you leave Rangers, it's all about what we do next. Likewise, if, if you know, a big player went, etc. tomorrow, great. You know, good luck. What do we do next? Who do we bring in? And it's all about that for us. So in terms of was I shocked, was I massively bothered with that, that Steven Gerrard went... No, not really. And it's not meaning to sound bad. I was worried, but very quickly when it, it came, like, because my immediate reaction was, Christ, what are we going to do? Probably like everybody else. But as soon as the names that are getting mentioned were mentioned, I knew we were going to be all right. I was just worried about the club moving quickly because sometimes we'll drag their heel. But as soon as it all kind of panned out, it was, a, it was a sense of, thanks very much. I'm glad you're doing it this way because imagine he, if the way I look at it as well, Chris, imagine he had stuck around and he had known in his heart or known in his head and he had people saying, I, I want you to kind of move. And it wasn't, if it didn't happen then, it would have happened January or it would have happened March. The next time he got an offer he liked, he was going. 
So rather than prolong it for the club and the dressing room and performance-wise and everything, getting the break away from us exactly when he did is is turned out to be the best thing possible. So, you know, again, it's easy to say that in hindsight and that, but these are things that I'd said at the time. So I don't have any ill feelings. I wasn't shocked or anything like that. I'm just more about, at that time, what are we going to do? Yeah. David? A, well, I think, <coughs> you two know this, I loved him. Right. I mean, I, I loved the guy. Uh, he, even though he could be a bit, you know, terse uh, at times, uh, because of, yeah, there was that superstar quality, there was a fanboyish element to it, all about that, but also because of what he'd done at Rangers. Yeah. Where we were. Because it's easy to forget, we were a joke. Mm-hmm. April 2018, an absolute joke. Um, we'd just been bitch slapped by Celtic twice, and they were actually—it was so easy for them. They were—they were jogging about. They weren't running about. They were jogging about at Parkhead, laughing at us. Um, and he came in and he fixed that. He changed it. And it, there were some lows. I mean, after that Hearts game, that was a real, real low period. Um, but he went away and he did it, and he delivered the most important title in my. In my lifetime, even ahead of 86, 87. So he had a lot of credit in the bank with me. But to Stevie's point, it was noticeable in press conferences. I'd come out after a game that, you know, people would say to me, how was he? And I'll go, I've seen him angrier after a win, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was a little yeah. odd. And I wondered if, well, maybe he's just getting a wee bit more mature or, you know, you know as a manager, I mean, or maybe he's just, you know, the fact that he's won something has... But, he, he was quite sanguine, and and he's not. You know, he wasn't like that after. I mean, as I say, I've seen him as win, and him be, you know, coming in and going. After like, win by two or three, and he, I wasn't happy with this, and I didn't like that. And you know, just when he was coming in after a bad result and being quite calm, which was yeah. odd. I I I I didn't think for a second he was going to Newcastle. Didn't think for a second he was going when he was linked to Tottenham in the summer. I don't know why. I just felt Villa was different. Maybe it was because Christian Puzzle was there, and yeah. I thought that there's no way that Villa are making this public because Villa were making it public that he doesn't know that Gerard wants to come. There's no way because of their previous relationship. Um, in Scotland, we have also a tendency to underrate Villa and how big they are in England because you know we we don't see them up here as a big club the way that we see even historically, you know, like Liverpool or Man U or whatever. Villa are a huge club in England. You know, Birmingham's a massive city, second biggest in Britain, and there's a lot of Aston Villa fans out there. But because they've had this kind of unsuccessful period, really, they are big. I also agree with Stevie. I do think that it was put to him that he wouldn't go straight from Rangers to Liverpool. Um, And I think that that became a consideration for him. And Villa, as we're seeing this window, clearly promised them money. Yeah, and they had, why. <laughs> and they had a and they had an underperforming squad. So it is, it is a bit mental that, you know, Gerard could have been sitting about looking at kind of bargain basement signings for Rangers this January. Instead he's signing like Coutinho and Digny. So it's Coutinho and Digny, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and and they're not finished. You know, and that's on yeah. top of a squad that signed guys in the summer. You know, like Danny Ings for twenty million and Buendia for thirty million. It's a squad that I like the look of in the summer, and they massively underperformed at the start of the season. It, that made it an attractive job to somebody because any manager looking at that squad would go, "I can get a tune at that," you know, even without the additions. Um, 
you would look at that and go, you know, I can get that team playing well and I can get them up the league. Um, so I, I under, it just felt different, and I thought, nah, he's going to go. And, and you know, uh, fortunate enough to, as you guys know, maybe some of the listeners might know, Hartman's an official media partner of Rangers, so we have good relationships with the club. And the mood music was different, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the mood music was different, and they didn't know. I, I'm not saying, by the way, that they were they were keeping, but they would go, hmm, you know, yeah. <laughs> rather than rather than oh, no chance. Um, it was. Hmm. Uh, and then, of course, he, he went. And, and look, I was gutted because, again, what Stevie says there about uh, my logical response is I get it. Um, I also get that had he done badly, I don't want to be fired. Right. And we're a wee bit hypocritical as supporters in that sense, yeah. because we don't want a successful manager to go, but we we do want a bad one to be fired. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> And therefore, I, I do get you do need to look after yourself. There is just something about the middle of the season, right? I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, that's sorry, that. It's the timing. It's the timing. See, yeah. if he'd left in the summer, I'd have been gutted. I absolutely would, but not angry. Um, if he'd left this summer after winning the title again, would have absolutely four years wished him all the best. But I think it was the timing. So there's also the heart. Well, let's be honest, we're human beings. And there's the... Reject it. It's like getting chucked, isn't it? Mm, you know. Yeah. Like, well, why are they better looking than me? Aston Villa. Yeah. You know, I mean, she's Aston Villa's got a hacket face, but she's got a better body because of the money in the EPL, and yeah. that's that's the problem. But I was, yeah, I was, I was gutted. I won't lie. Um, but funnily enough, I wasn't worried, and maybe that says a lot because I thought we've got a good squad here, and they've not been playing at their best. And if we get the right manager coming in. I felt at the time we had an opportunity, and it's too early to say for sure, but I really get the vibe of when Alex McLeish came in. Um, and Alex McLeish wasn't as fancied coming in by the Rangers support as Gio was. I think we were all much more impressed by Gio. Mm-hmm. But I got that vibe of a manager coming in and looking at the squad and going, these are good players, I can get this. They're similar to Gerard actually going to Villa. I, I, can, I can do something here. Um, and I thought this... I just had the sense that that could happen. Had we appointed the wrong guy, then it wouldn't have mattered. But I think if we got someone, you know, at that elite level, you know, for us, I'm not, you know, we're only going to get Antonio Conte. But I just thought that there was there was the tools to work with. Um, so I was sad. I was disappointed. It was a wee bit hurt. Um, but in time, as, as Stevie said, you know, we will look back. We will be incredibly grateful to Gerard for for what he delivered for us. Absolutely, I can't disagree with that. The one lasting thing of the Gerard legacy after he left was the match immediately after he left. Um, yes. We appointed a we appoint sorry we appointed a point. caretaker. Yeah, we appointed uh, David McCallum, Jermaine Defoe, and Brian Gilmore as a caretaker team. There was no sort of figurehead there, which to me was a bit odd to begin with. We went into the cup semi-final against Hibs. Expectations were, were pretty high. Like we expected to win. Of course, we were playing Hibs, we're Rangers. But it's not as if we were coming into that game in a bad run of form, as you had mentioned previously, David. We'd just <laughs> scudded Motherwell 6-1. We'd, we were playing well. Um, Hibs hadn't played in about three months. Uh, they had like the, the COVID layoff. Obviously, three months are a bit of exaggeration there. But they had a, a, a COVID um, layoff where games get postponed and then players had to isolate and all this kind of stuff. 
it was something mental like 20 odd days without a game so we we were heavy favourites and then in the space of 45 minutes the, the game's over we're out the cup so obviously I don't really want to discuss the game I don't really want to discuss the goals and controversy after it what I do want to discuss is it's a simple question does and, and it's relevant even now with a new manager does this Rangers team have a psychological problem when they're playing in cup games? It's as simple as that. Um, is there a, a, a mental block there? Because evidence suggests that there is. That's four years now this team's been together. Uh, got to one cup final, which admittedly were very, very unlucky. Um, probably the best display I've ever seen a Rangers team have in a cup final, yet we still get beat. But other than that, it's been quarter-final, 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 semi-final, semi-final. It's just been so, so poor. Is that something that Gio has to address and quickly? And is it really something that Gio can address? Does it need to come from within the players? Stevie, sorry, Stevie. I was hoping you were going to ask David. But um, <laughs> no, I mean, listen, it's always going to be it's always going to be there until they sort it out. And it's easy for me to defend them and say, you know, no, I don't think that's the case. 55 disproves it and everything else. But Hibs was a slap in the face to all of us, just as much as any other cup defeat has been, because this is Rangers were built to win. We should be winning cups. And I wrote about this being Geo's Geo's target. Geo has to make Rangers a team that are a cup final team, like a regular, we're in, and it's not even, Chris, it's not even, you know, winning, it's getting to finals, it's, you know, we should be in cup finals, we should be winning leagues, we should be challenging, we need to, Stephen Gerrard built that bridge to win the title, which was absolutely fantastic, he might not have been the man that took us to the next bit, now the man that took us to the next bit was Alex McLeish, Back to what David says. Now, Dick Advocate carried on what Walter did, but then we dipped and we needed somebody to bridge that gap. And that's what McLeish did. McLeish was different, obviously, to Gerard because Gerard started from scratch, really, and he had nothing to work with and to, or, or a couple of players and limited budgets, etc. Alex McLeish still had an incredibly talented squad that just needed rebooted. A wee bit like Gio at the moment, but in answer to your question, Chris, it's always going to be flung at them until they rectify it. Gio can install, you know, a toughness in them. He can bring in players that he trusts and and, and maybe change the, the, the kind of core of the squad, which will help him achieve that. But we haven't become a, a team that can no longer perform in cups or leagues regularly and stuff like that. It's just a matter of getting back to where we were. You know, the name Rangers and... And the, and the club status of where we are carries enough gravitas for that to happen anyway. So we should be, and we all think we should be, no disrespect to anyone, you know, performing and competing in cup finals and that. Whether this squad has it, they'll need to prove that themselves. The Scottish Cup is, is now massive for this club this, this season. It's, it's not as big as the league, obviously, but it'll tell us a lot and it'll probably tell Gio a lot because if we have another failure... And and we do, you know, fluff the lines. And I'm not talking about getting to a final and getting beaten by Celtic. That can happen. I'm talking about fluffing the lines against St Johnston or Hibs, etc. Again, no disrespect to them. But as as fans, we expect to be winning those games. If that squad continue that, then I would say that in the summer, Gio has to rectify that. I'm not sure how he does it. Does he clear out the squad? Is there a problem 
with a few of them in there. I'm not so sure, but we need to be back there competing regularly. We need to be in finals regularly. Um, so in answer to your question, it's it's difficult for me to argue with it and say, no, I think you're being too harsh on that because the facts in, are right there in front of you. Until the team rectify that, I can't argue it. David? Yeah, yeah I think Stevie, I've got a couple of things to add, but Stevie nails the, the crux of this there when he says that you can't argue with that because the record is there in black and white. That That is now, we can all then add as I say, unprovable theories into it and say, well, it's not the case because X and Y. But the facts are, you know, three quarter finals in the Scottish Cup. That's not good enough for Rangers. Um, I laughed actually when Aston Villa played Manchester United in the Cup this week. The the commentator said, oh, they, they could be going out. And he did well in Scotland with three quarter finals. <laughs> Sorry, mate. No, yeah. no, no, he didn't. Um, so you, you can argue. I, I would have said that maybe it was a bit overblown up until the St Johnston game. Yeah. The, that was when then, well, if it's not a thing, explain that. Because Rangers were gubbing it. Remember at the time, Rangers were just, you know, not losing to Scottish teams, especially not at Ibrox. And again, you know, can they play in front of a crowd? There was nobody there that night. Um, yeah. And it, it was an inexplicable dip in performance from them that night. And it happened in Cup. And again, had that been... The first time we'd seen it, fine, but it wasn't. We'd seen it now six or seven times. Um, so yeah, the, the only way to disprove the the cup thing is to do better. Hibs was incredibly painful because I thought we'd win, obviously, but I thought if we lost, I couldn't see us losing like that because we were hammered. We, you, you nailed it, Chris. We were done in half an hour. Game was over in thirty minutes, and. It just, it was catastrophic, the level of defending that day. It was just embarrassing. Um, and the team just looked so disjointed. And, you know, the the improvements that Giovanni has made to that defence in this time is, for me, probably the most impressive thing because he just almost instantly got it functioning again, looking like an actual defence. Now, statistically, that run couldn't keep up. I think it was literally nine chances, nine goals. Right, that's a freak, that's an anomaly. So it was likely to balance out, but it wasn't likely to balance out unless the team began to improve a little bit. Um, that day sitting in Hamden, you just thought, my God, and then the Furore over uh, Goldson's interview and Giovanni starting the next day and you're thinking, you know, my God, he's walking into a tough situation. <laughs> but I do think that there's, look, Stephen Gerrard won the league, to improved Rangers year on year and, and then won a league title. Setting records, that's another thing to remember, you know, and by 25 points. And I think we all felt that, I know that I had the conversation with both of you last season, you know, from about October on when we were going, this is too easy. You know, is somebody going to come along in a minute and wake us all up? Because I think we all felt that for us to win our first title since coming back up the divisions, it would be like Helicopter Sunday, you yeah. know, it would need to be an epic last day thing. And I never thought we would just completely run o- run away with it. And and yet we did. So he deserves credit for that. His European record is fantastic. This is the Brilliant. best, most consistent European performing Rangers side in my lifetime. Amazing runs under Walter two wonderful runs. But look either side of them, you know, um, 
this this is the the best most consistent Rangers team. It punches, I'd say slightly above, but it certainly at least punches its weight. And I suppose yeah. financially, that's worth far far more to us than any any domestic cup, and that's a, just not arguable. But you can't say that his record in cups is good. One cup final, as you say, we played well, but we still did lose. But um, you know, apart from that, the, the cup record is really poor. And I suppose you you can't really blame Gerard for that Hibs game. He he wasn't there. I think it was pretty clear to see that the guys who were weren't up to it. I don't think yeah. I'm being harsh there. Um, the the substitution when we were chasing a goal, you know, to bring on Ryan Jack for I think it was for Joe Rebo was just yeah sanity. You know, yeah. The, the whole stadium sort of looked at each other then. Um, but again, I think you could have had you know Pete Mourinho managing the Rangers team that day, and it wouldn't have made much difference because I think the players' heads were were gone a wee bit. You know, what with the manager leaving and, you know, the form and the way the season had gone. But, yeah, uh, only one way, right? We can debate it. You can debate it with, you know, people online and your mates and people will say, yeah, aye. But the fact is, the record is what it is. And the only way to change that is to improve it by going and winning them. And I disagree with Stevie slightly. I, I do think they need to not only get to finals, but win. Um, I think they've got to cross that that Rubicon. I think once they do a wee bit like the title, I think they'll be absolutely fine. It is just getting that first one over the line. Um, I will excuse him a little bit against as bad as the Hibs performance was because of the circumstances. Um, but the Scottish Cup is big this season, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So we move on from the Cup semi-final. Gio's appointed. Um, you guys probably will disagree with me, but I, for me... It, it just dragged on a wee bit too much. I know you'll come back at me and say they've done it within a week and a bit, but Gio was the week. first guy. Yeah, but Gio was the first guy they'd interviewed, um, and for some reason they wanted a second interview. For some reason, obviously they wanted to they talk to other people. Um, I, I, I can get that, keep the options open, but if Gio was a man from the very beginning, which Ross Wilson said he was, um, there was nothing stopping. Geo from getting in the door possibly after two or three days, but I, I take I take the point on board that a week is still very a, a quick um, appointment. Uh, it comes in um, the only other candidates. Uh, I don't think it's actually been disclosed who the other candidates were, but the rumours were obviously Reno Gattuso, but that was debunked by the the Rangers hierarchy. That that's one that that obviously excited me a little bit just for the pure mayhem it would have caused. He. The reason that came, he was interested. Yeah, yeah. So that's where that came. So it's a legit thing. And even if a paper says it's, you know, um, he was never, if you like, in the frame for the Rangers job because the he wasn't considered. But he put himself forward for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one worrying name for me was Russell Martin. I was like, wow, right, okay, um, this could be bad. But again, that was quickly, quickly um, flung out. Keith Jackson done his best to get Derek McInnes' name in there. <laughs> uh, never, never happened, obviously, now at Kilmarnock. But Gio's here. Um, he came in. As you say, after that cup final defeat, everyone's thinking that he has got an almighty job in his hands now. He's nine games in. He's won eight and drawn one. His first game, uh, 16 goals scored, two conceded. His first game, we had to win by two clear goals against uh, Prague. Done it. Qualified. 
Um, and he's then won uh, seven league games um, in a row. His favourite phrase is get the zero, uh, which is certainly the 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 foundations into which this run is built on. We we are collecting clean sheets the way we did last season at that rate. Players, individual players have improved. Um, most notably, Morelos, completely different player. Um, in fact, he's not a different player. He's the old Morelos, out with the the disciplinary problems. Um, we've also got Joe Aribo, who is playing. By the way, on Joe Aribo, he's the only player this season that um, didn't let his standards drop. Agreed. So he he's but not not only didn't let his standards drop, he's moved on to a, a higher performance level to which I've just uh, honestly what a player um, things are looking very good his coaching staff Dave Voss and uh, Roy McKay Roy McKay is an interesting one um, I actually says to you David watch Morelos there'll be a different Morelos because obviously Roy McKay world class striker and he speaks Spanish but then you came back to me Gio speaks Spanish as well and I was like of course he does yeah um, I think that's made a massive difference to Morelos we're in a very, very good place. We're six points clear. Um, we've got the old firm coming up, obviously, um, soon. The the league resumes again uh, for us on Tuesday, I think it is, against Aberdeen. Get Aberdeen and Celtic in the next kind of couple of games, or the next few games, both away. If we get six points, I, I think I, I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's it. I think, I think we're there. Just how impressed are you guys with the start? Geo has made. Um, I'll, I'll for one will say I did not expect it at all. I expected a few. I didn't expect a few defeats, but I expected some points dropped. I expected a wee bit of a kind of uh, a rough start from it's purely based on that cup semi final. But it's been flawless, absolutely flawless. People can say, oh, but, but it's not a hundred percent win record. But we're not going to hold the the one one drawn chance <laughs> against them against Leon, um, which by the way we're quite unlucky to draw that. I thought we could have won that, um, but. I just, I honestly, I'm so, so excited about what's to come in the second half. Stevie, would you would you go along with that? Yeah, of course. I think Gio's done a brilliant job. And I think that, going back to, to something we we spoke about before, and, and something that Scott Arfield said, that sometimes you maybe just need a new voice and new, fresh enthusiasm. I think he's brought that. But I think there's a, a lovely, calming arrogance about him. And it's not an arrogance. Sorry, sorry, Stevie. Just, I, I just, I need to interject here because that is one thing I love about him. This is going to sound so bizarre. With Gerald, it was a bit kind of up and down with press conference. See, Gio, and this is going to sound so bizarre. I love how boring he is. You don't get anything from him. He just talks, answers the questions that he's asked, and that's it. Gives nothing else away. But you know, underneath lies a a steely determination and as you say a kind of underlying arrogance do you think that's fair to say well it's but see it's an arrogance that i like it's not an arrogance that's um like aggressive or insulting it's no. an arrogance of and he's already said you know a couple of things that point to that when he talked about this is ibrox and teams have to know that when they come here they're getting absolutely nothing from us and he's so He's very, and David will know this more, having been in his company and that, and the few times that I've been able to to kind of be in a, a presser or watch, etc., I've just found them to be very, very central. And by that, and by what I mean in that, he doesn't go up nor down. He, he doesn't, he, he's not reactive. He's very, very 
balanced in, in how he delivers things. And even if you look, and this is, everybody will laugh at this, and I always say this to, to Mrs. Stuff. Remember when he said, oh, I really love your dog? And he mm. was talking in that press conference. It's the same tone for everything. So if you were asking him if he was going to sign a £20 million player, he's he's just the same as when he said to that lady that day, I really love your dog, by the way. And that's just the way he is. He's so... And I always think to myself, if that's him in the dressing room, where he's, he's, he's speaking to the players and he's saying, no, we're going to win today. And it's a whole belief system. It's when he speaks, you believe what he's saying. And that's not a criticism of anybody before. When Walter spoke, you listened and you believed it. When Alex McLeese spoke at times, you believed it, etc. When Dick Advocate, you bought into it. I buy into Giovanni immediately. And this isn't, it's maybe a, a wee bit starry-eyed and, and we're all blue-tinted specs, etc. But see, for me, I just believe him, etc. See, when he says we're going to get better, when he says we're going to be on the training ground, when he says he's going to sort things. And I look at it immediately and think that in two months or in nine games, the effect he's had and the individual things that he's immediately sorted. I did comment at the time that perhaps him seeing, and we did the podcast, David, straight after his um, his appointment in, in which I said this, and we all agreed that perhaps him seeing that semi-final and seeing how bad we were gave him a step to hint in terms of where the problems were, and it might be the best possible kind of um, thing to cling on to from that day. And it's I'm not saying it's turned out that way, but... I've got no doubt that him sitting watching that in the semi-final, he was like, right, I can sort one, two, three things immediately and it'll make a huge difference. And he did. So going forward under Gio, I've got, I'm excited as well to see what he's going to do. And not only am I excited about the team individually, I'm seeing the best in Alan McGregor again. I'm seeing the best in Borna Barisic again. I'm liking yes. the formations. I'm seeing what he's doing. And and it's it's like he's tinkered almost with what was already there. And you look at Alfredo Morelos now, and, and you look at him doing individual training, individual weights. He, I've sp- spoken to people at the club who say he looks as good as he's ever done. Now, if that's going to lead to Alfredo Morelos of 2019, of that six-month burst where he was absolutely unstoppable, I would say this to people. Alfredo Morelos has never been in that unstoppable form where he's had others around him on his level. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is he's carried this Rangers team, and we're currently doing the Evolution podcast talking about this, David, in well, terms of when he's been on form and he's been firing, he's never really had anyone around him where it's been his level and we've been a champion side. Now, if you interject Alfredo and throw him into Giovanni's team where he is at that level, then he's got Kent, then he's got Haji, then he's got Aribo. Then he's got Kamara, Barisic, Tavernier, all on his wavelength. So they're all providing him with the ammunition. That's exciting. Christ, that's exciting to me. No end. So you chuck him in there. And I wouldn't go as far as, like you said, Chris, to say that, you know, Aberdeen Celtic games will be, that's us there and that's us done. But what I would say is, and this is, and it's flipping a narrative that they have somehow created that, that Celtic are somehow favourites and blah, blah, blah. Celtic are only one game away from being in a scenario where, oh, Christ, we need favours or we're we maybe starting to be too far behind. In the next half dozen games, Rangers can put enough distance with a good solid run between themselves and anybody else to be more than comfortable in this running. So it's all there for Rangers. And if we, and if, if Gio is 
you know, putting that across to the players and we managed to galvanise ourselves. And these are really tough games, granted, I get that. But it's all there for us to very quickly not put this to bed, but put some real distance between us and everybody else and then start to build again under under Geo and, and, and get some, you know, solid kind of performances and working our way towards a title. And that for me in a five in Snarling Buffalo, that's just whets my appetite. <laughs> Are you on the Geo train as well, David? Just a little bit? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, well, very much so. Look, I'll, I'll caveat this by saying that we all know Rangers, and if we were to go and lose to Aberdeen, you know, that then throw this out the window. We understand that, right? We get it. Um, we're fans. We do short term. Of course we do. So we get it, right? If we were to lose to Aberdeen and Celtic, then the, the picture is different. But we had no right to expect him to do as well as he's done when he came in. Because I agree with you, Chris, walking out of Hamden that day hurt. And it was like, where the hell did we go from here? You know, um, he didn't have months with the players. He didn't have a, a huge amount of sessions, but instantly he got that 2-0. Not only a win, a win would have been good that night, but he got the 2-0 we needed, which was just superb. Lifted the whole place. Um, and then we started, you know, we started to keep clean sheets again. We were beginning to score goals again under Gerrard, but we started to, to keep clean sheets. We started to play really good football, and I think that's a key point. We've been enjoyable to watch, and more importantly, I think the players look as though they're enjoying themselves. Yep. There's none of this this slog thing now. It looks it looks as though they're having fun, um, which is which is absolutely enormous. They look refreshed. I actually think, David, the I mentioned two there, Aribo and Morelos. I think the one that's went right under the radar for me, and this guy was struggling big time, and I've given him it tight all season. And it's a credit to him, really, as Conor Goldson has been flawless since Gio came in. Goldson's been much better. Barisic has been much better. Stevie was right to mention him. Tav's been solid. He doesn't get forward as much as he used to because he doesn't need to because we play a different way now. Um, Kamara, I think, has been excellent in the middle of the park. Uh, Aribo, who had been, I agree with you, the day that Steven Gerrard left, Joe Aribo had been our player of the season. He's gone on another level. You know, he's, yeah. he's he's hitting heights now. Um, the touch. We'll all talk about it. Yeah. But that was extraordinary. He's I'm, a palace I, man now. Oh, he is. He's, he's such an extraordinarily good player. Kent, uh, you know, played a lot of the early season injured. He's just showing signs of getting back to his best. But Alfie, the difference is, is enormous. Stevie's right. The picture's of him right now. That's as thin as I've seen Alfie really since maybe the first season and a half. You know, yeah. he looks fantastic. He's obviously energised. He's obviously loving it. And when he's like that, he can be he, he, on his own. He, he can be virtually unplayable. But when you add in the other people around him, then it becomes a completely different thing. Um, I think that in terms of the difference between him and Sejera, that press conference thing is interesting. And even in your dealings with him, he'll he'll you know, banter with you a lot more than Gerard. And and part of that I think is Stephen Gerard, the individual, is ridiculously famous. Right? You know, yes. when we were in Copenhagen to, to for Rangers Bromby, we got there early to go into the press section. There are like literally I'm I'm not exaggerating, there must have been eight, nine hundred people in a queue waiting to try and meet him. You know, all standing there with like Liverpool and England and uh, the Bromby shirts. Um waiting to try and meet him he can't go anywhere you know without 
being mobbed. Yeah. It's like Beatlemania, you know. Uh, so he's guarded. He has to be. I understand that. He's he's a level of fame that that is even over and above most footballers. He's he's in that you know huge just he's a superstar. that top tier. Ah, he is. He's a superstar basically. So he's more guarded. Gio's much more relaxed. Yeah. Because he doesn't. You know, he doesn't. Uh, so he will sit and you know have a laugh and a joke and a bit of banter. Gerard would do it occasionally. But he would catch himself. You could almost see it, you know, and he would sort of pull back um, and, and the wall would come back up. Um, whereas Giovanni's not like that. He's he's much more, I'm talking like for mates, Giovanni. Uh, the <laughs> boss is much more like that, you know. Um, he will sit and the thing about the dog or, he, you know, he walked into the press conference the other week and he went, when does Scotland get warm? And I went, June. And he goes, oh, for goodness sake. You know, and just had a laugh and a joke and it just relaxes everybody. and. You're both totally right about that. It's that Dutch thing. I remember years ago, and a friend pointed this out to me not long ago, when Ronald De Boer was there, somebody would play a long ball into the corner from him to chase, and he would just watch it, and people would be getting on to him. And, and you could tell he was like, I'm not fucking chasing it, it's going out. <laughs> Whereas a, a Scottish player would chase it, you know, just to show that he chased it. Um, it's that Dutch thing. It's that elite Dutch mentality. You could argue, and I think you've got a fair point, as great a career as Steven Gerrard had, that Geo's is even better. Yeah, you know? no, I so argue that, yeah. There's not, more not champions only, like medals. Not only players, but manage, management career as well. EPL, you know, he won that as well. Uh, champions leagues with Barcelona, La Liga, he won Dutch titles, he won Scottish titles, he won, um, he, he played sorry, in a World Cup final, captained in a World Cup final. He got nothing to prove to anybody. Roy Mackay's exactly the same. Got nothing to prove to anybody. And they have that, that you know, I do think the footballers, and I think you're seeing it at the moment with Ralph Ranick at Man United, that players didn't know who he was and they're not buying it. Whereas as a, you either need to have a, a coaching career already or you need to be able to go, here are my medals, you know, yeah. to impress the modern generation of footballer. And they can do that at Rangers. Um and I think that, you know, you, you, you see this confidence about him. It, it is an arrogance, but an arrogance is sometimes a, 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 a negative connotation. It's a good arrogance because it's a, well, I know I'm good at this. Yeah. But it's not it's not based on nothing. It's not, you know, it's not like me saying that I would be arrogant if I went, I would be the best football manager in the whole world based on nothing. It's based on, I'm Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, right? And here yeah. is my CV. And this is why I'm confident. And it, it rubs off on the players, and you can tell that. It rubs off that that sense of, if you do what I tell you, if you listen, and you work hard, of course, then you'll be successful. Yeah. Um, the, the great managers have that. So I'm excited about the future. Now, there may well be ups and downs this season. I do. I'm very confident we'll retain the title. Very confident. There will, as I say, be ups and downs. You know, it's unlikely we're going to win every match to the end of the season. Uh, it'd be great if we did, but it's unlikely. So we need to be prepared for that and not overreact, Christopher, um, and huh. chuck, chuck the baby out with the bathwater. But um, I think long term, we've got somebody here who, well, who knows David, what he's just, doing. Just, just on that, just to kind of conclude the, the, the podcast, obviously we're, we're, we're currently in the break just now, the break's not over, we're in January, obviously the window's open. We'll, we'll talk short term. To get us over the line, to get 56 done, we've sold Nathan Parson for a record three, 12 million, could rise to six. We've brought in James Sands, who 
seems to be a, a, a decent utility player. Any Rangers fan who says they know a lot about James Sands, I, I, I'll, I'll point you to a liar, to be honest, because I don't, I don't <laughs> think many of us know of him, but he can play a few positions. He's American. Rangers fans love an American. Um, so there's, there's, there's no reason for James Sands to, to fail, especially when you consider that it's 18 months he's got at this. Um, so he could be a very shrewd signing. We've obviously got a bit of cash to spend. What do we need to get over the line? What do you think... Well, first of all, do you think we're going to go back into the market? Um, and Gio has shown a ruthlessness um, in terms of Defoe. He's gone. Um, it looks like if you don't want to be here, Gio will let you go. Because as Stevie pointed, this is Rangers. If you don't want to be here, then see you later. We're not going to beg you to stay. I think Gio's very much understands that. Obviously, I, he was a player at the club, so he understands the club a lot more than most would realise. Um, is this going to be a case of getting over the line with, with, with the guys we've got and if we sell one or two we might just bring in replacements at obviously a decent rate or do you think there's going to be a sign in here that is going to not not replace someone but actually improve the the, the starting 11 and I don't mean the squad depth I'm actually talking about the starting 11 I wouldn't mind a midfielder who is box to box um, because as much as I love Scott Arfield, there's no guarantees he's going to play well or, or be available for the next six months. And even if he was, you need a, you know, you need an option. So I would be happy if a midfielder came in. And the only other position I can think that Rangers, and this is, you know, I'm not. This is not based on me saying I have been told this. I don't know. This is just me, David, fan saying this. I think that they are happy with the players that they've got in you know, goalkeeper, defence, most of the midfield, you know, they're not going to buy a replacement for Joe Aribo or somebody to come in and play his position. They're not going to buy a, play, a player that will come in and play where Glenn Kamara plays, right? Yeah. So that's not going to happen. Alfie's the main man's a striker. Ryan Kent's the main man on the left. So, right wing. That's a, a spot that hasn't been nailed down yet. Equally, he loves Hadji and he likes Wright and Sakala. So he might not be desperate to go out and get that. I think if somebody comes along, and an interesting thing is this is a World Cup year, there might be players coming available on loan who need football and fancy coming to Rangers Mm -hmm. rather than maybe joining a club in in a bigger league who are at the bottom of the table and never get a kick of the ball, you know? So who knows uh, is my thing. I think think the squad we have is more than capable of winning a league title, but I am never, ever going to turn around and say that I wouldn't want, you know, a new exciting signing. Yeah. Stevie? Yeah, I think I agree absolutely. No matter what David says, we we do need a right-sided, a natural right-sided um, player forward-wise. I think that if we can get, you know, ideally, you would want somebody that can dovetail and Kent can swap about and 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 have more flexibility up front. I think the Sakala would be better as a, a kind of backup. But we've, you know, in in terms of we've still to see the best of roof under Geo. Um, and I'm expecting and hoping that Roof would have the same uplift that the, the other guys have had. You know, hopefully he gets injury free and gets a run because he's. We know that from the two three months that, that Roof had, um, when you know fifty five year Roof was was superb September yeah. to November December time and and pivotal as and I'm I'm not that's not a criticism but what I'm saying is during 55 there was months where certain members of the team 
like really peaked and I just think the roof did and I think that's still to come under Geo. So I don't think we need a striker. I don't think we need anyone on the left, like David says. And on the right side, it's not a squad player we need because there's plenty of players that can play there. We need the one outstanding player. Whether or not we can get him in January, I have to wait. But like David said, we might get, you know, Sands is in. I I wouldn't be surprised if there's another couple lined up, maybe pre-transfer, and then one comes in that might be a kind of bigger name or or a first team starter. And in, and if you look at what we discussed earlier on, it might be the first time we've done that in a few windows. So I'm not saying, and I do not expect us to spend four or five million pound. I don't think so. But if we can get what Geo considers to be his number seven or a first team starter on that right hand side for two, three, three and a half million kind of fee, that's where I think we are. And I think in terms of our transfer strategy, selling big and then spending. That's what I, that's where I think, and that's where I, I kind of think that we as fans should be prepared to be. You know, if you sell G, uh, Alfredo for twenty, you're maybe spending eight, nine, ten. But if you're selling somebody for twelve, you're spending two, three and a half. And I think that's our model. And in, in, in terms of, excuse me, where we should be, then I, I, that's kind of what I'm hoping for before the window closes. So give me a three, three and a half million right-sided forward that can add something different chuck him in next to a snarling buffalo a flowing ryan kent you know barisic tav the boys i talked about you know chuck him in there and i think will be really difficult to stop and so that's that that concludes that it's been a fantastic um podcast i really enjoyed having both of you on so thanks very much david oh an absolute pleasure mate and good luck with the new show thank you and thanks very much stevie no, as David said, Chris, absolute pleasure. What more would we rather be doing than talking about Rangers? And good luck as well with the with the show and look forward to listening. Yeah, thanks very much. And thanks for all for listening.